Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jordan Amate. Jordan loved the experience of healthy, clean living, but was unsatisfied that there were no good paleo-friendly alternatives to her favorite snacks. Instead of giving up, Jordan started a baking hustle from her dorm room, which, through some serious determination, expanded into base culture. This company has steadily grown ever since. No longer being run from a dorm at the University of South Florida, Jordan's business now employs dozens of employees at its head office in Clearwater, Florida. Base culture is blowing up because customers are becoming obsessed. Jordan, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, We're pumped to have you. I'm curious, how did we get into this? What were the series of events that led you uh, to where you are today? Yeah, it, it really all stemmed from joining a CrossFit gym and really wanting to make friends, <laughs> quite honestly, because okay. that the CrossFit gym that I had joined, they were doing a paleo challenge. And I figured the best way to get involved and meet people was to do what everyone's doing and participate in the, the group activities. So I did the 30 days where I ate meat, vegetables, seeds, and nuts and fruit and really loved how I felt. And it was a total lifestyle shift from the college diet to this clean way of eating. So for me, it was more about, I, I found that I was sleeping better at night. I was having more energy throughout the day. It wasn't necessarily a weight loss journey, uh, but it was just a, a reformulation of how I felt uh, and my mm-hmm. energy levels. And so from there, I was like, well, you know, I think there's something to this natural way of eating. Uh, I want to continue on it. However, I'm also human and I love brownies and I like bread and those things that I grew up eating and craving on a daily basis. So I knew for myself, if I wanted to maintain this lifestyle, I needed to find a solution for that. And so of course I went to, I'm in, I'm in Tampa. So I went to Publix, I went to Whole Foods, I went to those natural food stores, trying to find something that checked the box for at that time, the paleo lifestyle that I was following, um, but nothing existed. And really, all the only thing that was somewhat um, within the realm of paleo was just the gluten-free aspect. Uh, so there were some gluten-free breads and baked goods out there, but I didn't think they tasted very good. And so no. <laughs> I, I really want to enjoy what I'm eating. Um, so for me, I was like, okay, I'm not a baker, but I'm just going to put some things together and figure it out and do some research on what would work for baking in this paleo world. And I created a brownie and a banana bread. And so for me, it worked perfectly as a quick breakfast with banana bread out the door and then a brownie at night for dessert. And so that uh, was really where I intended to stop. However, the gym I joined was doing another paleo challenge at that time, about six months later. And I brought those products to my friends and they said, holy cow, these are great. I'll pay you to make these for me. And it's like, heck yeah, you know, I need some extra cash. Let's do this. And so I had um, just put together a Facebook page and I would post online when I was going to bake and then people would place their orders on Facebook and I would deliver it to them on the weekend. Wow. So that went um, for about six months. And then I got some unexpected news coverage that aired all over the country instead of just in Tampa as it was supposed to, which, you know, good problem to have. 
Um, and that really put me on the map and it really opened my eyes to, wow, I think this is a bigger thing and it can be a bigger thing than I really even anticipated it to be, um, considering I just wanted a brownie and that's, that was my main motivation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I was like, wow, you know, there's this hole, there's something that's not being made and it's not being offered to customers around the country. And what really sold it for me was I was getting calls from people that had kids with autism or uh, individuals that had celiac disease saying, oh my gosh, you know, my kid has never had a brownie because the sugars used in the regular brownies in the stores don't work because he has autism. And he can finally have this because it's made with clean sugars such as honey or maple syrup. And so that was like something that was like, you know, still gives me chills today. And yeah. I'm like, you know, wh- like, whoa, that's powerful. But also, you know, individuals with celiac disease that had to cut out gluten and wheats because of their conditions, they could now have bread again. And, you know, opening up these doors that had once been closed was something that for me was like, okay, this could change people's lives in a really cool way through simple food that people eat on a daily basis. I just have to figure out how to do it. So at that time, I um, quit my day job and I had graduated at this point and uh, found a small commercial kitchen that I rented space from and uh, really dove into to base culture 100%. And I hired a baker at that point so I could start selling to smaller stores around the country and did that for about six months. So she would bake during the morning, I would sell, and then we would both deliver in the afternoon. And kind of wow. very strappy, very, very grassroots, um, but made it happen. And then continued to question like, well, how do I get into Whole Foods? How do I get into Publix? I'm not from the consumer products uh, industry. So I didn't know like, you know, how to do that. I didn't understand why people wouldn't take my calls. Now I, I get it that there's like a review calendar and, you know, there's buyers and these rules around bringing new products in. But I didn't know that at the time. So you know, a lot of my journey has just been trial by fire and just putting myself out there and learning as I go. Um, but it, you know, it, it can be done. <laughs> you don't need to yeah. have education. And while that, I'm sure that would be helpful, of course, you, you know, you, you get to where you're going faster if you already know the answer, but it's possible just to dig in and figure it out. And that's what I did. And, and at that point I went to a conference called ECRM, which is essentially speed dating for business. And, I met with 90 buyers from uh, my category. So frozen baked goods and snacks that were interested in base culture. So I had 90 meetings in three days and I think I left like not being able to speak and like drooling <laughs> on myself. <laughs> wow. Um, but what, what happened, which was really cool. Every single person I met with wanted to buy the product for their, for their store. And while I could not actually deliver any of those orders because I didn't have the capacity to meet the demand, it was extraordinary, extraordinarily validating for the concept because sure. this is something that didn't exist in the marketplace. Is a conventional store like a Publix or a Walmart or a Kroger or an Albertson Safeway, is this concept going to resonate? And And back then we were very paleo focused as we've evolved throughout the years, we've transitioned to be a clean ingredient, a healthy product kind of consumer focused uh, company versus specifically paleo. So if you think about just paleo, you're talking to a smaller group of people, 
But being paleo, you're also checking the box for gluten-free, for grain-free, for dairy-free, for soy-free, non-GMO, um, kosher. And now we're also offering keto products as well. So while it started more niche, I've really, we've opened the door to a lot more consumer facing uh, attributes that resonate with different people. But back then it was super paleo because that's all I knew. And that's what, you know, was how it was founded. And so I was like, is this going to be just like a mom and pop shop type of product? Or, you know, does it have potential for this bigger world? You know, I need to know what I'm looking at here. Is this exciting or not? And it turned out it was very exciting for a lot of people. (laughs) Mm. And so at that point, uh, I was, you know, faced with another kind of crossroads. You know, how do you, how do you grow? How do you do that? And so I hired a um, uh, advisor or specialist, whatever, whatever you want to call them. But they're like, usually in this, this industry, you hire a co-packer then this co-packer makes your food. You just, you worry about the brand, you worry about selling. And then essentially that's how you, how you work. You sell, they make it and they send it. And it's a great relationship. Everyone works together. Um, but because our products were so unique, they didn't exist. That means there wasn't a manufacturer that knew how to make them. So it was another big roadblock because, you know, we looked for nine months. We hired this specialist that, you know, knew this world, knew how to navigate it. Uh, and really dug in looking around the country for a co-packer to make these products, but kept hitting, you know, stonewall after stonewall. So at that point I sat down and, and my dad, who's a director today of the business, he, and he's an entrepreneur himself, um, different background, but very much entrepreneur at heart. And he was like, you know, I think we really need to keep our hands around this process from start to finish. We really need to control what we're doing so that we can never fail the customer. And that's one of our core values. You know, we don't want to fall short in the customer's uh, customer's frame of mind. So we control the process from start to finish or from sourcing all the way through shipping. The only way to do that is to build your own manufacturing plant. And so with only a hundred stores actually buying from us, um, but interest from these big stores, we really went on the furthest limb possible we could have gone on and <laughs> built a manufacturing plant. And it's wow. uh, 44,000 square feet in Clearwater, Florida. Um, again, we were actually looking for a plant around the country, but one opened up in our backyard, which was built as a U.S. foods distribution plant. Uh, so it was set up with food in mind. And then it was a brownie manufacturer the Browning manufacturer was going under. So we were able to purchase the facility and a lot of their equipment at an affordable price. And so uh, that took, that whole process took two and a half years. So again, I started, well, I continued to go out and raise awareness about base culture, telling them about who we are, what we do, educating the customer about our products and uh, what we're going to bring to the marketplace and create this excitement because I knew, you know, we're investing millions of dollars to build this plant. If, at the end of that, and uh, the plant is ready, and I don't have orders. Like we're gonna be in a big pickle. And yeah. so <laughs> I, uh, it was an interesting pitch. I was like, okay, Mr. Buyer or Mrs. Buyer, I'm so glad you love this. You know, don't go find it somewhere else. I can't sell it to you yet. Stay interested. I don't know when we'll be ready, but I promise you, one day we will. <laughs> wow. And it worked. I don't know how, but it worked. Um, and thankfully, we moved into our plant in February of 2017. We went and got all of those certifications for our, our operating. So we have our SQF level two, which is a food safety certification. Um, 
you know, making sure everything we send to the customer is safe and, and, you know, perfect for them to eat. And we also have gluten-free, grain-free, kosher, non-GMO, paleo, and, um, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, Dairy-free, soy-free, and peanut-free as well. So we got all those certs and then did a rebranding in August and September and then launched um, to the market in October of 2017 with actually our first customer was Walmart. So we built a manufacturing plant Did and we launched one of the biggest national retailers uh, and very, very conventional for this natural product that I created. So we did everything you could possibly do backwards, um, but we made it work. <laughs> I, I have so many questions. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but the, the entire time think of Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank anytime he's talking to someone in the food space, right? Right. Right. And he's always just poo-pooing on it. He's like, they're gonna they're gonna crush you like the bug you are, the cockroach you are, right? hundred <laughs> percent. With that given sentiment, right? That this is a really tough space yeah. to break into, to get shelf space in a Walmart, in a grocery store food chain or whatever, and then all the logistics of the plant and the manufacturing and the packaging and all that kind of stuff. How do you think you did it? How in the world did you guys make it through those gauntlets? A lot of a lot of luck. I mean, a lot of stars have to align. I mean, I can think back to a million different places in our journey where we could have made the wrong choice and things turned south. Um, sure. I mean, so many things. You know, we were talking to one of our board members and he said, and he's a really well-known guy in the space and has a lot of experience with startups um, all the way through like selling the company. So, you know, very, very early on to late stage companies says there, there's about a 0.5% chance of success in this industry. And there's, there's no written code. There's no checklist. Like you do A, B, C, and D and you're going to be successful there really isn't. I think we we got very lucky and we still get very lucky. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, space culture is still very small. We're still very much a growing company. We're still like entrepreneurial spirit, you know, let's go for today. It could be the worst day, the best day, who knows, but we're ready for it. Um, you know, I think what has enabled us to get to where we are is just my and my father's inability to give up. <laughs> We're yeah. annoyingly persistent. I mean, to the point where it's like, I, I can't let things go uh, for better or for worse. You know, if I think things need to happen, it needs to happen. I'm going to continue to, you know, make sure I reach out, make sure I show up, make sure I take the chance. Um, and, and a lot of it also, I think is ignorance is bliss. You know, sure. if I know what I knew now about this whole industry and about how, like how much money it would take to get to where we are today or how many hurdles I would have gone through or, or just the, everything that's like gotten us, I don't know if I would have done it, you know, but I didn't know. And I think I had blinders on and you just put one foot in front of the other every day. And just keep your head down. You know, sometimes looking at the big picture is a good thing. Sometimes it's a little scary and you just kind of have to tackle little task after little task after little task. And then, you know, you do that for so long, you look back, you're like, oh, okay, we've gone a long way. You know, we're doing pretty good. You just keep yeah. doing it. Mm -hmm. Ah, so good. On the days that you weren't feeling persistent, that you weren't feeling optimistic, what did you do? How did, how did you... <laughs> 
how did you get yourself back in the right head and heart space and putting one foot in front of the other? Yeah, I think um, I call that my my dark hole. <laughs> you, know, you crawl into that very, very dark place and you just don't want to, you know, even get up the next morning and you just don't know how you're going to make it forward. Honestly, for me, I've, I have a father that is extraordinarily compassionate um, and also very smart as a businessman and has been through it because he's an entrepreneur himself. He started a business. He's a geophysicist by trait, but, you know, started his company 30 plus years ago at this point, sold it about seven, Oh, five years ago now. Um, and then now is working with base culture full-time. So he's been through a lot of these challenges, different spaces, but you know, a spade is a spade, a challenge is a challenge. And he gets that emotional blockage, you know, when you just have this knife in your gut, doubt in your brain, you know, yes. how am I going to do this tomorrow? And I've called him multiple times. I'm like, I have 55 families relying on me as a business owner to make sure base culture continues. That pressure is always there. How do you deal with this? How are we going to do it? Nine times out of 10, his answer is, you know, honey, I know exactly how you're feeling. I know exactly how you're feeling and you're validated to feel that, but we are going to work through it because what's the alternative, mm. you know? What's the alternative? You can cry, you can scream, you can hit things, you, you know, you can have that emotion, you can get it out, but then what? You know, that's not yeah. solving the problem. You know, getting up the next day, making a to-do list, checking it off, going one thing at a time, you know, eat the frog first in the morning, you know, do the biggest task first, do the thing you don't want to do first, and then that's out of the way, and you just have to dig out of it. You just have to do it. But I think having him as uh, a sounding board throughout those moments of, of doubt or insecurity or just fear, quite honestly, has been instrumental. And then also the support of my husband. You know, he doesn't, he's not in this industry. He's an ER doctor. So he deals with stresses that I can't relate to. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, life and death is, at the end of the day, this isn't life and death. You know, we, we have different kind of um, emotional pulls, but knowing his support is unwaverly and he's there no matter what at the end of the day having him uh from a comfort standpoint it has just enabled me to keep putting one foot in front of the other oh man i'm so thankful you have those people in your lives i have i have some people like that as well and they're they're invaluable oh yeah you know? invaluable mm -hmm. and no one maybe no one could but no one warned me about the mental tax that a journey like this involves oh yeah and i think about it often in terms of if someone's saying can i do it my answer is always yeah you can the only question is my in my brain is will you right like knowing right. how many off ramps how many oh, yeah. moments you have the opportunity to quit oh yeah <laughs> it's like a highway there's never ending off ramps that for you to quit today quit today quit today and so the only question in my mind is will you because i've almost taken that exit ramp so many times right yeah. absolutely absolutely you, you ask you're like you know, I could just be a cash a cashier somewhere, you know, you know, that works. Yes. I can do something else. You know, I can hang this up and say it was a good try. It was a good run. Or I can push forward and see what else is there. Do you have a common, I'm curious, do you have a common stress fantasy? Like if you're really stressed out and you're imagining quitting and just going, doing something the opposite, do you have anything like that, that comes to mind? Cause I always have the same picture. Actually, 
Well, I would say too. I'm sometimes because I'm a mom. I'm a I have a six or she just turned seven months old yesterday. So seven month old daughter and a two two years and two months. Zero. So 20, 26 months old daughter. Both, both, so, both girls. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes like I could just be a mom. Like I could be the best mom. Like right, right. I could just do that. I you know I can be the class mom. I could do this. You, I have, plan the activities, you know, arts and crafts. I could do that. So that's definitely one of the fantasies, but then also it's like kind of weird, but I would say working in our manufacturing plant, because there's something so satisfying for me. And I do, I go work in there about once a month because I yeah. just like it and I like to be involved, but just, there's something so satisfying about moving a pan from one place to the next all yes. day. Like that's all you have to do. That's all you have to think about. And it's just, it's like that mindless repetitiveness that you just kind of move. That's it. That's why I was asking <laughs> that question because I've seen this. So with all of my kind of creative entrepreneurial friends, leadership positions, whatever, we all have similar fantasies. Mine has always been, it's not an actual fantasy because I think about it for three seconds and I don't want to do it, <laughs> but it, I would always think about starting like a lawn care service. Mm, right. Same idea. Like yeah. you just literally go and cut the grass, Yeah. blow the leaves, like it was yeah. a problem. And then at the end of the day, you see that the problem is fixed yep. and it was just mindless repetition yep. and there's no pressure on you and you're not worried about intangible things and people relationships and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, when you're done, just, you're done. When you're done, you're done. Yeah. As soon yep. as, as soon as the last customer is served, you go home, you pack your equipment away and <laughs> you crack open a beer. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So funny. <laughs> So, but I think it's actually, I've found it's actually helpful to have things like that integrated into your life. Yeah. That is a little bit restorative, right? Absolutely. Like for me, I'm a big list person. You know, I've, yeah. I've looked at all of these apps or online platforms where you can have your productivity managed and all of this. And I try it out. I, you know, I try to get there, you know, I'm, I'm 30, you know, I'm not like too old at our, you know, it's set in my ways, but there's right. something for me about writing things down and crossing them off and that crossing them off is like that satisfaction like being done with it and seeing yes. it like almost to a point where I'll I'll do something that's not on the list but then I'll add it to the list just so I can cross it off <laughs> yeah absolutely to have another one of those little dopamine hits of like another yeah. thing done I moved it to done right exactly and, and then the, at the end of the day there's something satisfying about looking and saying okay yes there's a million more things that I have to do but look at what I did today and then tomorrow, there's going to be more things crossed off the list. And yeah. so I think that's that same concept of knowing that you are accomplishing things in this huge, enormous sea of to, to do to do lists and, and tasks, that there is some sense of accomplishment. Absolutely. Well, I want to kind of dive a little deeper into that. Is there, well, first, I just want to know what a typical day looks like for you. And then inside of that day, have you started to experiment or orchestrate certain anchors or things in place that, that are somewhat strategic to either get you in the right headspace or focused on the right things or anything like that that you found to be helpful? Yeah. So my typical day, I would just like one word, I would say it's a blur. I mean, I feel like things happen every moment of every day that derail, you know, you have this plan when you wake up and it just kind of goes left or right or up or down. You just kind of you have to be agile, um, yeah. especially in the setting of COVID slash working from home, being a mom of two babies and a business owner and a wife and a daughter and a sister, you know, you have all these hats you wear, at least yeah. you know, I, 
have all these hats that I wear. And for me, there's like, there's never going any like halfway. I'm like a hundred percent, or I, I feel like that sense of like lack of accomplishment. You know, if I'm, if I'm multitasking, yes, I'm getting more done, but for me, it's less fulfilling. So I'm like, okay, if I'm trying to answer emails, you know, sitting on the floor with my six month old, she's not crawling. So she can just, you know, roll around and play with a toy and she's happy, but I'm doing both at the same time. There's like a lack of fulfillment for me because I'm like, I'm not as focused on my emails as I should be, where I'm not spending the quality time with my daughter that I should be. Right. I'm not here or there. I'm right. That like that crossroads, like that hurt, like that hurts. You know what I mean? That's like that part of me where I'm like, I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not accomplishing what I should be doing. And that can kind of like send me spiraling a little bit. And so for me, I'm like, okay, you know, my days, well, right now, because my little one is not fully sleeping through the night yet, she's still kind of working on that. (laughs) Um, So I wake up at 4am and I feed her and then take a nap more or less from five to six and then wake up again and feed her at six and then get her up and going for the day. Then my uh, oldest Eloise, she's two. Um, I get her up at seven. Uh, I say oldest, like it's relative. Like she almost, she's like two. <laughs> um, <laughs> oldest of the babies. <laughs> right, right. So she gets up at seven and then I get her, she has a bottle in the morning, get her dressed and then bring both girls downstairs at seven 30. When the nanny gets here, the nanny gets kids and then I get their breakfast ready you know, for me, there's something about doing the breakfast for them that checks my mom box. I'm like, okay, you know, I was that supportive person for them. I provided the nutrition. This is good. Now I can like wholeheartedly go into work. I'm not being pulled to be, you know, back in that mom mode. So then I start, you know, the emails, the work and that kind of stuff. Um, And then, you know, of course, in the setting of COVID and working from home there, you, you just get pulled in a lot of directions. And so like, right before my toddler goes down for her nap, I, you know, throw her up in the air like six times. And, you know, we say love, love, love. And she's like, like, that's her highlight, you know? So it's like that I schedule calls around that because that's super important to me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, schedule this around their nap time. So there's not screaming kids in the background. And so it's, it's really just knowing your schedule and being able to operate your schedule with the element of flexibility. And so of course there will be calls, there will be, important emails that need to go out when the kids are up. Um, But you know, you just, you just have to make it work. And so for me, it's that schedule, it's understanding their nap time, their eating time, their wake time, their night time, and then working around that. um, And to to make base culture happen, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm I'm a mom, you know, I am their mom, I will forever be their mom. And if I don't identify with that, then there's a piece of me missing, which affects me in, in my base culture world as well. So, you know, of course my perfect day, I would love to get a workout into, I probably work out three to four times a week in this, in this, whatever world we live in. Um, we, my husband and I put some equipment in our gym. So, or in our garage, our gym, <laughs> it's really a garage. <laughs> our home gym. Yes. <laughs> and so just getting out there and doing a quick workout, you know, helps. I definitely, I would say one of my cues to success is doing a meditation to fall asleep. Mm. my brain doesn't turn off. And so like, you know, if I don't do that, I'll just sit there thinking about what I need to do, sending myself emails of like things that I need to do the next day, 
or yeah. or go on that thought spiral where you're like, oh, this could happen or that could happen or this or that. And then, you know, you just are ridden with anxiety and you can't yep. sleep. And I know if I don't sleep, then I can't do everything else. So that 100% of the time is something that I'm very committed to. Um, and it's, you know, it's easy. It's, you're not carving time out of your day. You're literally going to sleep. So you just turn it on and you listen to it. And that mindlessness can really, really help. Mm. I love that. Yeah, that's been a huge journey for me is figuring out how to calm an overactive mind at night, you know, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it tricks you. Yeah, it, it starts off as feeling like you're problem solving. And you're like, this is cool. Like I'm, I'm using some extra time while I'm just laying here to like totally. forecast the day or problem solve. But then it quickly devolves into just energy, anxious energy. Yeah. And you're it's like sleep is getting further and further away. The longer I stay in that headspace, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And there's like, there's one quote, I'll probably get it wrong because I'm just thinking of it now. But while in this meditation, it's like the day is done, but tomorrow has not yet begun. You know, that's like this emptiness, the space of emptiness where you can choose to let go of what has happened and not think about what's to come because you have a limited control at this point in time. Yeah. And so if you can relax your body and your mind to actually recover, you're better prepared for what the future will bring. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was telling the guest the other day, I thought it was so interesting. I watched uh, this kind of progression in someone like Elon Musk's life where a few years ago they were asking him like, what, how much do you sleep and all that kind of stuff. And he, like a lot of people kind of celebrated that I'm getting like four hours, you know, four hours a night and I'm sleeping on the factory floor and I'm burning the candle at both ends. And then I heard him ask the same question recently on a podcast and they said, are you still getting four hours of sleep? And he goes, no, he said, I ran the numbers and I realized that was suboptimal. <laughs> like, like really? He's like, yeah, I have to get seven to eight hours of sleep. Yeah. And it was just interesting for him. It was actually more of a data thing. Like if he just looked at himself sure. you know, as, a, as a productive person mm -hmm. that he bought the common myth that I would right. be getting more done and I could probably get by on less energy and right. he said, I realized actually I was making poor decisions. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, not being as effective. Things were taking longer than they should have. If I had just carved out the time that I needed to recover and then crush it in the time that I'm supposed okay. to be awake. Right. Absolutely. And that's something I've really worked on over the years because I was like that in the beginning. I think yeah, every entrepreneur, you're fueled by those individuals, by the Elon Musk, you know, by those, what you deem successful business women or, or men in this space. And you're like, oh, they're doing it. I've got to do it or I'm not going to get there or yep. even a fraction of there. Uh, you know, there's those huge, huge successes. But that's something that I've really worked on and continue to work on is, is just not really hanging my self-worth on exhaustion or anxiety. Yes. Yes. You know? Because you do, you're like, oh, you talk to people. They're like, yeah, you must not sleep. You're like, yeah, you know, I only sleep like four hours, five hours, yeah. and I crush it all day. And you do like in the beginning, you put a lot of worth on that because the, your brain tricks you and says, well, if I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing everything I can do. Exactly. And yes. that's not true. <laughs> right. A hundred percent. That was the thing for me too. I think I had a double, a double whammy. One was like this sense of badge of honor. Right. Like totally. you don't, totally. you don't even realize that like, You've kind of bought into this to sound busy is to sound important. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to tell someone, especially if you're going an unconventional route. Oh, yeah. You don't want to tell someone I'm sleeping great and I'm taking care of myself. And you're right. like, 
that's going to sound like I'm a loser and I'm not trying hard. And you're not doing everything you can and yes. you doing this or that. And the, you know, the unset expectations around successful business people, it's, it's all self done. You know, no one has said these here are the rules to success, yeah. but being tired, being exhausted, having this anxiety seems to be like, you know, when you say I'm an entrepreneur, it's like, well, here you go. This is what comes with that. You that's know, right. Doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Yeah. So uh, the way that I teach it now, so I'm a performance coach. I don't think we talked about this before, but that's my business. I run a company where we coach people and that kind of stuff. And one of the ways I talk about it is we typically either worship stress or we demonize it. Mm -hmm. And both are unhealthy. So the worship side is that like badge of honor. Like I got to burn myself out. That means I'm important. And that leads to like stress induced injury. Mm -hmm. Right. An injury could be burnout. Injury could be botched, you know, uh, goals, missed goals, that kind of stuff. Even health. Like some Mm -hmm. people I coach, they, they have several times a year that they're sick for like two to three weeks. And it's because their body just literally crashes from being on overdrive. But then on the demonized side, we, we kind of go the other way and we say stress is bad. I want no stress in my life. I'm going to be totally Zen. And those kinds of people can suffer from atrophy. Because sure. what they're what they're doing is actually avoiding anything that would put pressure on them. Right. And I'm like, no, it's neither something to be worshipped nor demonized. Right. You just need stress and recovery. You yeah, need a, exactly. a proper calibration to challenging yourself and to working hard and then giving yourself back what you need mm-hmm. to be able to keep going. Do you see it that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because there's no way around it you know, stress will be in your life, whether you're owning a business or you're, you're a stay at home mom, raising kids. Oh yeah. There are stresses and anxieties written in everyone's life every day. It's having that healthy relationship with it. Knowing what your guardrails are when you're feeling like you're going down the wrong path, whether it to your point, whether it's worship or demonizing, knowing what really pulls you back to your center it's like that sense of equanimity, you know, like having that even mindset and saying like, okay, like I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. This bad thing happened, you know, so now I'm here and this is where I'm okay. How do I get back up? Or, okay, this was really good, but like, it's not going to stay really good. So let's pull it back down. And so knowing that even evenness and when it kind of gets off kilter, you know, what do you need to do? Is it take a day? Because the world's not going to end in a day. That's right. I keep going. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's hard for people owning a business to, to really, really do that. Um, but to just recenter yourself, pull up a little bit, look at the big picture, look, say, okay, you know, for, from my standpoint, I started this nine years ago. We went to market three years ago, more or less. Look how far we've come, you know, like the big hits, like the big fires I feel every day, it's hard. It's very hard not to get consumed by them. But in those, those times, like actually, you know, having podcasts and doing these things, talking through it, it's actually, my dad asked me um, on Friday while I was preparing for this, he asked me, why do you like doing these things? I was like, cause it gives me the ability to pull up Yep. and to actually verbalize it, not just say it in my head, but say it out loud. Yep. And that's something I also feel like when you have the anxieties and stresses, if you say it out loud, it deflates it by like 10% and, and it makes it more um, palatable, really. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. The anxiety has been my, my demon of choice. Mm, okay. uh, it's, it's, everyone's got theirs, whether it's guilt or depression or anger or whatever. Mine has always been anxiety. 
And that was one of the things I realized as well is it, I, the way I like to m- visualize it is if I don't talk about it, it lives in me. Yep. If I talk about it to my wife or a podcast or whatever, it now starts to at least exist partially outside of me. Right. Right. And right. there's just enough objectivity. There's just enough space now between me and that, mm-hmm. that I realize I am not my emotions. Right. Exactly. I feel anxious versus I am anxious. hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then you also can see it a little clear, like just in talking to, just in talking about it, you're like, huh, I haven't thought about that angle of it. Right. You know, right. maybe it's not that big a deal or exactly. I'm over attaching or whatever. And so, I mean, that's what people love journaling or talking to a therapist or right. totally. talking to a friend. You just get perspective on your life. You're not overly identified with it. Does that Absolutely. make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Because it's easy. It's so easy to let those things build up into an all consuming and, and debilitating manner that you just don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. And it, it, it is not only for a business, but from a personal life standpoint, it's something that I think everyone needs to really work through and, and find their outlets to be able to express it. Yeah. What would be, what would be your most common afflictive emotion? Would it be anxiety? Would it be fear? Would it be self-doubt? Would it be, what, what would be the most common one that gets you the most? Probably fear of failing the people that have believed in me. Yeah. You know, fear of letting those folks down, whether within my control or without. I mean, base culture is more functioning today than it was last year versus the year before. You know, we're far beyond where we were three years ago and, you know, we'll be even further in three years from today. But I, I definitely, there's a sense of fear of failure for me that is, you know, for better or worse, motivating to mm-hmm. keep going forward, to keep moving and to keep doing everything I possibly can, because that at the end of the day, that's all I can do. I can really, really, really try hard every single day. And that's within my control. Everything else is without my control. So, you know, I, I try to make the best decisions I possibly can. I try to be present. I try to do everything I can within my power. And that allows me to sleep at night um, outside of that, that fear that exists within me. Yeah. Oh, so well said. It reminds me of that serenity prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's, it's, I don't remember the exact prayer. I'm not an AA, but I love the prayer where the idea right. is basically like, help me let go of the things I cannot control. Exactly. Focus on the things I can control and totally. know the difference between the two right? Definitely. That's what you're saying is like, all right, I'm going to let the good part of that fear drive me to be very present and do my best in the areas I can control. And -hmm. I'm going to practice, which means at night, laying in bed, being with my family, I'm going to practice letting go of the things I can now no longer control. Exactly. Exactly. And there's so much power to that because, you know, you you also, you bring people onto your team as you, you get up, you, you're able to grow and you're able to get momentum and speed. You bring people on and, and my philosophy on bringing people on, it's always hire someone that's smarter than you. Like be the dumb one in the room. Like don't try to impress, right? Like you want people on your team that have ideas that you don't. That's why you bring people onto your team. And as you know, I, I didn't have that luxury a couple of years ago. We've just now built our leadership team. But now at the end of the night, I can say, look, I'm worried about X. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I hired this person to be in charge of X and that's that person's responsibility. And I hired that person because they were better at the job than I was. So me worrying about that X problem is really a waste of time. Now Mm. I can 
send a note to the person in charge of that problem and say, hey, I'm just thinking about this. Can you provide me an update? Which for me helps deflate that anxiety a little bit. But knowing that I've put the best people in place to solve the problem under their control has also, you know, alleviated a lot of the fear associated with it as well. Yeah. So trusting other people, right? Absolutely. Someone else is thinking about this. Someone else is, and that was actually the first business I started. That was, that was the hardest part and really led to me dissolving kind of the partnership I had was I kept telling this person like all the way from the beginning, if we're going to be partners, even though I was going to work more in the business and he was going to work more outside the business, making connections and providing some funding. I was like, okay. to me, it's not about who's doing what. It's just, I want to know that we're both thinking about this. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like you're, when your head's on the pillow, you're mm-hmm. thinking about this business and what it needs and mine is. And that just wasn't happening. Uh, you know? Right. And I was just like, this is not a partnership because yeah. if this is a partnership, like you'd be thinking and caring for this and forecasting and wondering, hey, did we ever hear back from them? And what da 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 da? And right. I was like, "You're you're you're a great advisor." Sure. And, and so I moved him more into an advisory capacity. Right. And but I was like, "That's not what a partnership is. A no, partnership we're is we're not. carrying this, right?" Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I talk. You know, when I when I'm hiring someone for a job, you know, like, what's your your mentality? Of course, like different levels have different sure questions. But you know, what's your work mentality? Is it I work from eight to five, or is it I work until the job's done? Because yep. it's very different. Yep. And especially in a startup when you're like everything's on the line and you're thinking about things at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night or 4 a.m. You know, like, I mean, I just had a baby. So I was up all night feeding the baby. And of course, I'm sitting there thinking when I'm just in the dark. Right. And so I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. I got to send this email. And I'll, I'll tell the team, I'm like, I don't expect a response, you know, but my brain is always going. This is what's happening. Yeah. And so if you're an eight to five worker, this isn't going to work, whether, I mean, you could accomplish the world in eight to five, right? You can do that in eight to five, but the, it's the personality and it's the, the drive and the, just the passion to like really never put it down. That's for me, like something you look for that clicks because yeah. like that in your, your past relationship, yep. he didn't have that. And, and it not, it's just like kind of irks you a little bit, Yes, you know? Yes. Like, I don't expect you to be working till 10 o'clock at night. Absolutely not. I also don't expect you to have to work if you need to take your kid to, to soccer or you need to go do this in, you know, in the middle of the day. I'm not constrained to the eight to five. You're sitting at this desk and you're right, not right. Like yeah. life happens. I have for sure get that with two babies, but I just need to know that you're thinking about it. And at That's 10 right. o'clock, if that thought comes, you're not just like, Oh, I'll push it off to tomorrow. It's fine. You know, I think that says a lot about the team that I've hired and and who the people that work with us have, have as one of their personality traits. Absolutely. So the team now, I'm glad you brought it to there because I wanted to talk about the internal culture. Some, uh, you you mentioned having 55 families. I'm assuming that means there's about 55 people that are part of base now. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Correct. So we have, so we kind of view it as two things uh, to, to really, it's really two businesses. If you think about it, because we have our manufacturing plant and our brand. And, and like I said, in the beginning, usually brands hire co-packers to do the manufacturing. Sure. And so it, it kind of is two businesses in one, but um, for, for better or worse, we're one. And um, so we have about 12 people on our brand brand side and about 40 46 people on our manufacturing side, you know, at, okay. at close, but, um, 
Yeah, for, for better or worse, we have about 55 people working with us today. And what's that overall, what's that journey been like? It's a totally different journey. One is getting your product and getting that product to the market and selling it. And then there's the building the team around the growing business. What's yeah. that journey been like for you? It's been interesting. I mean, it's, it's all about the right people. And, you know, our, our best hires are the, the people that are with us today. Um, and it's, it's been a interesting, it, I'm just thinking about it. It's interesting because like one of our lead sales girls, she was my sorority sister in college, you know, no experience wow. in the industry. She was actually living two doors down from me and I had a really bad day. Like someone stole $10,000. Like <laughs> it was a really bad day. And I was like, I, I don't know. I just need a, a glass of wine or maybe the bottle and just need to that. <laughs> and, <so, laughs> and she was like, yeah, come on down. Um, you know, happy to talk. And I, you know, we sat there, I talked about it, whatever. A couple of weeks later, she gave me a call. She's like, look, I'm really unhappy. She was in HR and um, she's like, I'm unhappy. I, I don't, I don't know if you need help at base culture, but it sounds really interesting and I'd love to help where I can. And I was like, I need so much help. I need so much help. I don't know what you would do. I don't know what title you would have. I don't know what I could pay you, but yeah, if you're interested, let's do this. And um, she's grown so much in the industry. I mean, mm. talk about someone that could read my mind. We were actually, when, when I would go on sales calls, uh, I don't go on as any anymore, but um, just a couple of years ago when I would go on all of them with her, cause it was her and I selling, we, we would be sitting in a hotel room and we would be working. And I, I remember this one time, I, I think we were in Massachusetts, but I was like, hey, Courtney, um, I, uh, can you please, uh, and I was like busy typing. So I was like scatter mind. I was like, could you please, uh, um, yeah. And I didn't even finish the sentence because I was just working on this email. And like five minutes later, she's like, yeah, I just sent it to you. Uh. <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 do you even know what I wanted? Like, <laughs> yes. I didn't even hint around the topic of what I was talking about or needing. And she knew like, so like talk about someone that's like your second brain, but from an employee standpoint, you know, she has been one of those people and individuals that have really grown with the business over time and has that just wherewithal about her to be able to grow and understand and learn the skills. And I think those people that have done that within base culture have the humility to say, hey, I'm raising my hand. I need some help here. I'm not the expert, but I'll learn it and I'll yeah. grow with it. And yeah. We definitely have those people within the organization still today that have grown with the company. I mean, I'm that person, right? Like I had no background at all. I figured it out as I've gone, but it takes a mindset to do that. And then we have the, the experts or more or less, if you will, that we've brought on to be our managers and, and our leadership team to really not only have the knowledge and bandwidth, but experience in those roles to say, okay, this is how we've done it in the past. This is what I know what works and what it doesn't. And so, you know, with or without them, we'll get from A to B, but we'll get to B a lot faster with their help because they've done it before. Absolutely. And so it's definitely different mentalities and different personality traits that you look for as you grow and build a business. Because like you said, it's very different from me being in the kitchen a couple of years ago um, to now where we are today and where we want to be tomorrow and three years from now is very different than where we are today as well. And so it's just understanding where you think the holes will be in the future 
and filling the biggest hole first, um, prophylactic prophylactically. So yeah. you're not in a bad place when that hole is eventually opened up. Yeah. Yeah. What's the biggest, what I'm so curious having those two businesses in one and they're, they're vastly different kind of skill sets required, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. what's the biggest challenge of leading a company that has those two kind of different companies inside of one umbrella? Bridging the gap, mm. bridging the gap. So I, so I've, I've been the CEO slash founder up until January in January, I transitioned just to being the founder and hired. Well, actually she was already a part of the company. She was our COO, but she transitioned into the CEO position. Um, but that, that, uh, it's really funny. That element of bridging the gap is so important because what makes space culture work is sales and manufacturing. Yeah. Right? Marketing helps sales. Um, buying ingredients helps manufacturing, but when it boils down to those two pieces of the puzzle that really make it work, you have to have sales for the manufacturing plant to operate and to make food, you need sales. And so they have to work seamlessly together. They have to ebb and flow together. If we have a down month in sales, we can't have a high month in production because then our labor's too high and that margin, vice versa. You know, if we're killing it in menu or if we're killing it in sales, but manufacturing is down, then we don't have enough food to send our customers. And so having that relationship and having the, the guardrails in place through reporting and data and knowing what's to come, like from a forecasting perspective and a preparation standpoint, and then being able to analyze month over month after it comes to fruition, because forecasting is more or less rubbing a crystal ball with data. You know, you're looking at what the future might hold based off of past experiences, maybe of last year, you know, combined with some new happenings, maybe you've got new distribution, maybe you have a promotion happening, maybe, you know, you're, you're doing something that's really boosting sales on, um, on social media or, or whatever the elements are, you kind of marry it together and you point, you paint this beautiful picture of what the year will look like. And then month by month, you realize what the reality is and you adjust and you move forward. But if you don't have that relationship, if you don't have that person being that liaison from manufacturing to sales and sales to manufacturing, then it kind of goes haywire. What have you guys, what have you done to address that? Or where, where have you seen things improve that those lines of communication? I think it's from a leadership standpoint. So we brought on a new uh, director of operations uh, just this year. As we continue to grow, we kind of saw like the skill sets that we had of the past individual in place. He was great and he got us to where we were, but to take us forward, we needed that more experience-based person and from a little bit higher from from a position standpoint to come in and really lead the team and be the team player and, and talk to people. Right. Because your best assets are the people on the floor doing the job. So, you yeah. know, have the conversation, motivation, you know, just if you're moving pans, you can move pans like this or you can move <laughs> pans like this, you know. Right, it's, right, right. It's not rocket science at the end of the day. It's just being involved, being engaged and being willing to learn um, from a leadership perspective at the plant. Of course, you know, we have a maintenance department and we're, we have you know, someone that's always optimizing the machines. And of course, you know, that's not just talking to people that, that takes some brain power to actually make it work and make it work better and faster from an efficiency standpoint. But, um, but yeah, that, that's definitely something from a leadership standpoint in the, in the plant that has really elevated our ability to have open communication. Um, mm. that's, that's all it is. It's just communicating. It's talking to people. It's saying, Hey, look, there's a problem here. 
I'm raising my hand. Let's let's talk about this. Let's figure it out. Versus, yeah. uh, I think we'll be able to skate by, or we could we could cut a corner here, do this there. You know, we can make it work. And then at the end of the day, it's just a cluster. It's just it's just talking to people. You know, open your mouth and have have a conversation. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I'm curious what led to the decision for you to uh, step out of the CEO seat and just in the founder seat. And then what has that looked like in terms of day-to-day change of, of function and responsibility? Yeah. So, I mean, just going back to what we were just saying, you know, I realized I have a certain skill set and I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the experience or bandwidth. Uh, I've gotten the company from $0 to we crossed over almost the $12 million mark last year from a wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And I, I was able to lead the company there, but from looking on a forward basis, I didn't feel like I had the skill set to take us from a $12 million company to a hundred million dollar company. And I felt like that was, I was at the time in my life where we really needed someone to come in and steer the ship forward in that regards. And so that was the motivation of bringing uh, our new CEO in. And from a responsibility standpoint, I mean, I'm still involved every single day, probably more than my husband wants me to be. (laughs) 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 But, um, you know, I have the time to do things like this, be more forward facing to the consumers, have more conversations about the brand. Um, be more involved in the innovation strategy, uh, looking at social media stuff and, and really talking to the consumer and telling the story because still like, you know, a lot of people don't know what base culture is. They don't know what our products are. They don't know where to find them. And so doing things like this, spreading the word, educating the consumers is something that I'm really good at because it's my story. And I'm the best person to tell that, not someone yeah. else. Yeah. So instead of running the day-to-day business, d- tackling the day-to-day challenges of being that CEO role, that's now on someone else's desk. And then I'm able to be more of that forward-facing person. Awesome. Has that been enjoyable? Are you, are you loving oh, it? Yeah, I love it. I mean, someone else can worry about the numbers. <laughs> Let's go. For sure. And I can have these really fun conversations and talk yeah. to people. It's great. Yes. I love, yes. I love anytime somebody has worked their way into their superpower. Yeah. Like totally. delegate the rest, Absolutely. delegate the rest. If, if, if it's not, and sometimes it's not just forever. Sometimes it's for now. Like, right. It could be a seasonal totally. thing. Totally. And I was just going to say, that's something that I would say, like, know what, like, how, how do I say this for, for people that are developing a company or, or just being a human, I would say authenticity is something so rare, but so coveted and so powerful. Like being your authentic self and doing what makes you happy, whether that be moving the pan, running a company or talking to people, you know, do what makes you happy because being authentic and not only, you know, running your life that way, it drives passion. And that passion is so contagious and powerful to whatever you're doing, you know, just do whatever you're doing the best you possibly can. And, and I think that speaks volumes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So well said. All right, my friend, let's jump into the lightning round questions. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll make sure we get to them before uh, one of your kiddos wakes up from their nap. Yeah. You know, you know speaking time over here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will tell you it gets better. Well, I don't mean it in terms of it's bad now, but we have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Okay. I didn't know there would ever be life after nap times. Uh-huh. And 
they're all in school now. Like my youngest is in a little pre-K program, so it doesn't really count. It's like two hours a day. But sure. Next year, like we're like next year, he gets to go to school with his sisters. Right. And he's gonna be gone from like seven thirty to two thirty. What is that like? I well, I don't know about all of them yet, but <laughs> we're so close. Like I can't. My wife, my wife is a realtor, and I have my own business. So we both work. And we're like, I can't believe we made it. Like we've been high fiving. Like we survived three kids going through the baby stage and the yeah. juggling around the nap times and oh you know, yeah, that kind of stuff, man. Like this was our first year we had a vacation that it felt like a vacation. That's huge. That's huge. huge. <laughs> we were sitting on a beach and our kids were playing together mm-hmm. and we're entertaining themselves. And we were oh. like, what's happening? Why am I? Like, I can't believe we're here. Normally, it'd be 30 right. minutes on the beach and someone's crying and they want to go inside. And then we got to go put so-and-so down for a nap. So the other kids have to watch TV, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, this is awesome. You're like, this I, is life again. We're back. Yeah, we're, we're back. back. <laughs> we did it, baby. We did it. Uh, so don't, anyways, it, like I said, it's not that now is bad. I don't mean to imply it'll get better, but it's just different. It's yeah. just different. Um, new challenges. Now we've got my eight-year-old's like a lawyer. Oh, I'm God. Like, <laughs> Hey, this is one of the challenges of you growing up. It's like you're talking back now, and you're you have like good arguments. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> like I don't know what to do with that. Like you just pointed out my inconsistency in my in my you're, you're parenting. Like 100 accurate in that statement. <laughs> yeah, but you're not allowed to talk to dad like that. All right, uh, so funny. I love it. All right, friend. Here's question number one: If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Be passionate. Be passionate about what you're doing. If you're not passionate, you're wasting your time. Love that. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also, what was the worst? The best advice would be um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And um, the worst was don't build a manufacturing plant. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't listen. <laughs> good, good. The worst, yeah, the worst would be you listening to, to Kevin O'Leary when you didn't need to. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, are you a sports fan or did that, that uh, quote from uh, missing 100% of the shots you don't take just, just resonate with you? I think that came from my dad, who's a sports fan, um, okay. but very much resonates, especially when you're like looking at a challenge and you don't think you're good enough or you don't think you're going to make it. It's kind of like, well, I don't try. I'm going to end up in the same spot as if they say no. So you might as well try. Yeah. At least you got a chance, right? Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization today? Just that fear of failure, that fear of letting someone down that's believed in me and that's put their lives behind mine to, to make it a success. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything that you've learned outside of just doing the best I can today, anything even mentally perspective around how to, uh, care about that in a healthy way versus, uh, maybe an unhealthy way. You know, I think it's a matter of, you know, we've really gotten to a place where the ship isn't going to sink overnight. And so mm-hmm. that fear of is my, my single decision I'm going to make today really going to fail the company? Probably not. And making mm-hmm. that more of a reality in my mind, it's just, it's just framing it. Right. It's, it's yep, a different that's what perspective, I mean. you know, cause I can make, I can make a bad decision, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to make decision, a, a decision with the best information that I have at this given moment tomorrow, I can make a different decision. 
and we yeah. can change our mind too. So it's yeah. not finite. It's always growing. That growth mindset is something that alleviates a lot of that fear. Love it. Glad I asked. Great, great response. <laughs> All right. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? Um, so I think essentially one day successfully sell the business for Buku Bucks and mm-hmm. travel the world with my family. You know, traveling is always a big thing for me post Corona, post, you know, whatever weird situation we're in. Um, but to travel to experience different cultures to like live in the culture for a, like an extended period of time would be that for me. Heck yeah. What, what kind of travel do you have in mind? Would it be like getting on a boat and sailing everywhere? Would oh, it be... no. no, not that kind of adventure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I need some more comfort than that. Um, That's but, what my wife would say. Okay. I think for me, my list would be like Bali, New Zealand, Greece, kind of hit those hot spots and yeah. like sit in that culture and learn their daily lives and, and be a part of it rather than just be an outsider looking in, but kind of experience that. Yeah. Man, well, I had I had two different sets of friends that both took two months off and went to Bali. Oh, really? And they've done it a second time because they they loved it so much. Like, loved, oh, wow. loved, loved the culture, loved the people, uh, and th- they're trying to see how often they can go back for extended periods of time with kids and everything. I mean, wow. Well, if it all keep- works out, I'm gonna hit you up for some suggestions. For real. Yeah, I mean they're like they've they figured out how to like do it for like three months, you know. Yeah, no, that's three months is the great time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, please hit me up. I'll I'll give you and hopefully I'll have my own information. We're 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 gonna try to get the business to a place too that we can we can come out and get there. We've just been in that startup phase like you have where couldn't take three months off yet, but they were yeah. at a different stage in their career. Yeah, three days is a lot. Three months is impossible. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's it's goals. It's goals. Oh, we're gonna get for there. Sure. Everyone's gotta have them. That's right. All right. Number five. This is our fun creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past, and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back? And what would you tell yourself? Um, when I would go back would be when this this company really started moving forward and it was more of a less bootstrappy, but more of like, okay, this is going to be something bigger um, out of like the apartment kitchen stage, more of the, we're going to build this facility stage. Uh, and I would tell myself to really just take a deep breath and enjoy mm-hmm. the journey because we only live this life once, you know, we can spend every day hitting our head against a brick wall and being worried about the small things and being stressed and anxious and all of those things we've talked about. Um, but it's the journey that we're all on. And one day we won't be on this planet anymore. And what do we have to live for? You know, it's that journey that we're going to look back and say, wow, do you remember when this happened and we got through it? Or do you remember when this happened and we didn't get through it, but we found another way. And do you remember, you know, even if, even if it's, oh my gosh, do you remember this huge failure that happened? But guess what? We're still here and we made yeah, it. So, right. and I still think I work on that because it's easy to get absorbed um, back into that mindset, but really looking at the daily life as instead of just mainly a checklist, like, Hey, let's find some joy. Let's find some joy and live in that. Come on. I love that Jordan. Well, <laughs> I am so encouraged. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's amazing to see what started as just a treat for yourself (laughs) has turned into a massive and continued growing success inside of a business that not many break into. 
Yeah. Uh, so well done to you. Well done to the team. And thank you for taking time to share with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.